You know, what, what, what does it take? I suggested last week that, that 1 Thessalonians gives us a unique opportunity here in this book here in this letter from Paul to a church, because of the timing of it, because it's so quickly after he first starts this church. These are new Christians. They've just learned of Jesus and believed in him and are following him. And what he writes in this book, he describes to us then what that looks like. He, he describes what it takes to, to plant and to grow a church, to plant and grow followers of Jesus. So this, this, this journey through 1 Thessalonians, I'm casting in those terms, I'm casting as these are foundations for growth. What does it take to grow faith? What does it take to grow in a church? What does it take to grow with others? And I've kind of given away the answer there when I say what does it take to grow with others? Because the with is part of what it takes. I, want, I, I think the, the text this morning, the second half of, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we, as we get into it, it says something about what I'm going to call the myth of Jesus and me. And maybe I should have titled that the myth of just Jesus in me. Because we, and in the great individualistic spirit of America, we sometimes have this notion that if I want to, if I really want to grow, if I really want to deepen my life spiritually, I need to pull apart and I need to just spend more time with Jesus and me. And, and, and if, if somebody I know that needs to come to faith in Jesus, somebody I know that, that needs to know his grace, his forgiveness, then then. Oh, if only Jesus himself would, would, would draw them. If only Jesus would, would meet them personally. And so I pray, Lord, would you, would you draw them to yourself? But you know how that normally happens? That normally happens through the working of somebody. That God, by his spirit, will call people to himself, but he normally does it through people. For some of our Older generation, uh, early in the first service, Jordan, I thought he was going to do this again. He made the mention that one of the things he loves about being in choirs is that it's, it's quite a multi-generational, our Christmas and Easter choirs, that, that um, he mentioned there's people in the choir that, are, that have been there longer than he's been alive. And uh, I mentioned there's people in this church who have been here longer than I've been alive. That's a few years more, Jordan. And yet, yet with that older generation... There's a, there's a song that we like. There's a song that we've sung for years, an old hymn. And it goes something like this. I come to the garden alone when the dew is still on the roses. And there I am with my Savior. It's talking about that personal fellowship time. I come to the garden alone. It's just Jesus and me. I come early in the morning. And maybe that describes just individual personal quiet time for you before your day starts. But the song ends this way, and now it's a, song, it's a song we like, but it's a song that troubles us a little bit, because it ends this way. The third verse says, I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go with a voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. It's, it's, it's almost as if I've spent the whole day in the garden, and now the night is coming, so Jesus says, it's time to go home now, you know, but, but uh, he reluctantly sends me on my way at the end of the day, as if I've, heaven on earth would be just Jesus and me all day long. And that's where the song misses something. I think, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that the hymn writer, what he's, what he's trying to describe is, no, no, that Jesus draws us close to him, and Jesus, in, in being close to him, sends us out to be with others. Because what I want to suggest to you is what it takes for faith to grow. What it takes to plant and grow the gospel in the lives of others is it takes our connection to others. It takes you and I being examples. It takes you and I being followers. That for the gospel to go forward here the way it went forward there, for the gospel to advance here at Brush Prairie the way that it's described in Thessalonica. And the gospel did some wonderful things there. For that to happen... It takes you and I following somebody. It takes you and I leading somebody. You're going to see that very early. As we turn to the scripture, you're going to see following and leading, being an example, leads to something wonderful. So we'll see what it leads to. We'll look at where we're going, and we'll talk a bit more about what it takes with you and I in getting there. So I invite you to turn. I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read the second half of the chapter, beginning of verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. If you're using the church Bible, we'll start on page 986. I think it's 986. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you, you Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That closing, this passage, my favorite part, has been those closing descriptors. This is how the gospel did its work. This is what it looked like when the gospel was believed, grabbed hold of, and walked in. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And Paul's already referred to that threefold description in other words earlier in this chapter. That's, that's the direction. That's what the gospel does. The gospel changes lives. The gospel makes a difference. Today's text tells us what that changed life in following Jesus looks like. But it also tells us how they got there. And so it tells us how we'll get there, how we'll help others get there. First of all, let's, let's, let's um, focus our eyes on the goal. Focus the guys on, our eyes on this is what God is doing. They turn to God from idols. There's a new specific worship-driven choice and patterns. They're making choices out of this is, this is turning to God. There's, there's a positive direction. It's not just, I don't do that anymore, I don't do that. No, no, there's a turning from something to something 
In fact, actually, if I were to really get specific here, there's a turning to something from something. Sometimes when we're talking about uh, faith in Christ, we're encouraging people to turn away from things and to believe Jesus instead. Paul actually does it the opposite here. I don't want to make too much of that, but he, but he says they turn to God. And turning to God, they abandon idols that they had trusted previously. It's a, it's a reorienting of faith in the right and legitimate direction. I, I, as I was thinking of this, and the intentional choices of turning to God and from other things, there's some whys that are in the midst of that that are worth unpacking. One of the things that came, came to me was my thinking concerning families is we have practices that we do. You're, you're here this morning, so you're a, you're a family that goes to church. You bring your kids together with you. Some of those kids were sitting up front today. Do your kids know why you go to church? Well, because we're Christians, but do, you know, do they know why, as Christians, we go to church? Do, you know, do they know what God's purpose in that is? What it is that God does for us as we gather together in this assembly? The whys of, of turning to God and from idols. That there's different choices that are being made. There's different purposes that are being followed. So there's new patterns in life. When Paul and Barnabas earlier... In one of their travels together, they, they came to the town of Lystra in Acts chapter 14. And they were confused at one point. The people understanding things from their previous background, they assumed that these two guys must be the human manifestation of two Greek gods, Hermes and Zeus. And so they begin to honor them in this way. And Paul responds, shocked. He says, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. From empty things, from worthless things, from things that cannot help you to a living God, the God who made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, the true God, the legit God. That's what you're inviting people to believe in. You're inviting people to believe in the real God, the true God, the legit God. And there's a spiritual reality here. That, that says that Satan and his minions, there are other gods, there are false gods, there are pretender gods that are illegit gods. Wanting to be followed, but not worthy of being followed. There's the song, is he worthy? Yes, he is. These, the, Satan and his minions, not being the creator, they have no rightful claim over you and I. They have nothing in us that they own other than what it is that we willingly yield to them. It is God who made you who has a claim on you. The God who is our creator to whom we're accountable. Humanity's rebellion away from God follows an earlier rebellion of Satan and others with him who rebelled against God and said, we want to be in charge of the universe. We want to run the show. And God says, no. And so Satan has co-opted those whom God loves, those whom God made in his own image to be in relationship with him and, and, and deceive them into joining in his rebellion. You can have it your way. You can be in charge of your life. You can be in charge of your own corner of God's universe. You can decide what's right and what's wrong. You can follow yourself instead of following God, not really realizing that turning away from God, they were turning to a false God. Humanity turned from, God's, from, from God to idols, and that's not where we belong. 
What do we mean by a false god? What do we mean by idols? We live in a very rational culture that says we don't believe in idols. We don't believe in some stone statue that represents a god. But we have many things which we trust where our confidence is maybe that give us purpose and meaning or identity. We have other things that we trust in that bring us pleasure. This is the thing that will fulfill me. We have other things that we trust in to provide for us, to give us provision. Even various government programs can be that for people. We have things that we trust in that will keep us safe, that will be our protection. It might be finances. It might be my carry conceal permit. Who knows what it is? But there's things that we, now you're wondering, is is Bob packing? What? (laughs) But there are, are, and and, and I gave him his four Ps for a reason. Our, Our purpose, pleasure, provision, protection. You can remember that. The other things that we look to for those things instead of looking to find those things in God. It is God who made us, who gives us our purpose. It is, it is God in whom we will find our greatest pleasure. And so John Piper co- coins the term Christian hedonism, that our greatest pleasure is found in worship of and relationship with God. And it's a cheap substitute anywhere else. That God provides for us. He is Jehovah Jireh. That God is our protector. In fact, nobody can take us out of his hands. Paul describes his calling, his commission from Jesus in Jesus' own words. Jesus said to him, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus said, I'm sending you to bring them back. And there's a spiritual reality to, to this. That there is a spiritual enemy that has drawn them away, that has misled and deceived, and whom now humanity follows. And God is calling them back to himself, and he's doing that through, well, in this case, in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas and Timothy. The mission God has given us, then, is a spiritual battle. Like them, so we. God has given us a spiritual battle to call people out of darkness into life, to call people to the true God from false gods, to turn to God from idols. And we can reframe choices. We can recast choices, decisions that we need to make. Am I believing the true God on this, or am I believing a false God? Am I believing lies from somewhere else? Is this thing that I'm doing, does this serve the true God and his purposes for me, or does this serve some other God? Am I trying to gain favor, approval, security in some other way? God has called us in faith in Christ to turn to God from idols. Specifically, turning to God meant, included, to serve the living and true God. To throw out a little grammar here, the main verb, to turn to God from idols, is also further expanded by two infinitives, to serve and to wait. So we in turning to God to serve and to wait. That's how we live that. How do I live out? How do I day by day? What does turning to God from idols, what does that look like day, day by day? Day by day it looks like to serve the living and true God instead and to wait for his son from heaven. They did what God said. Now what 
what the traditions, the idols of their culture, their society always told them to do. In many ways, it was a radical departure then. In many ways, it'll be a radical departure now from the cultural common sense to godly obedience. This is what God says. It's non-negotiable. You see that in, in all kinds of things today that, the, that, that our culture is redefining for us. What it means to be a man or a woman. What it means to be married or single. What is good? What is, evil? what is true? Is there anything that's true? These, these, these are things that our culture has up for grabs today that God is very clear on. There is absolute truth that comes from him. There is right and wrong. Turning from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God is to turn from common sense to godly obedience, to turn from rebellion my way, I'll decide what's right and wrong, to submission, where Jesus himself says, I will put my law in their hearts. The words of the new covenant are a new way, a new life, a new submission, a new serving, a new living. Turning to God from idols also meant to wait for his son from heaven. This, is, this means trusting God's son as the ultimate meaning and outcome. It, this means that no matter how things look today, I no longer fear what I might lose or what price that I'm going to pay for the choice that God calls me to make because, as that old hymn says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. That God will vindicate himself through eternity to those who have believed him who have trusted him. Delayed gratification believes that Jesus is better. I do not have to squeeze this world like a lemon and get all all that I can out of it because it is not my home. I'm only passing through. And I live live my life with with a longer range. That's what it means to wait for his son from heaven. We could easily think that to wait for his son from heaven means I sit and I wait. Now that I believe, I sit and I wait. And that misses the first part, doesn't it? Now that I believe, now that I've turned to God from idols, to serve and to wait. So the wait is not sitting down and, and waiting for the heaven bus when Jesus comes. The waiting is a delayed gratification. Not seeking the end now, knowing the end comes later. You know, it's been said that delayed gratification is one, is one of the most important things parents can teach their kids, to wait for something better, to wait for something that's worth more than that which initially attracts your attention. One time I did that with the kids, offering them one treat of some kind right away, right now, or if they could wait five minutes till the end of my talking, they could have two instead of one. Most of them said, okay, we get this. Two is better than one. Delayed gratification is also one of the most important lessons that God's children can learn, that we will wait for his son from heaven. That what you do or choose not to do, that where you give your money or where you don't spend your money, that these are choices that are based on you are waiting for his son from heaven. We could talk finances for a little bit here. There's a, there's a new Financial Peace University. You see that in the bulletin. There's, the, there, there's going to be a sign-up in the foyer. You can check in with that after the service. What that Financial Peace University is about, it's, it's about biblical principles and some actual concrete next steps and some practices you can change, some things you can do, some steps you can follow where you can regain control and direction of your finances. 
That your finances are no longer controlling and worrying you, but actually you're now directing again the stewardship of that which God has placed in your hands. For instance, I was, I was talking to somebody just recently. As it turns out, their finances look like this. They, they give right off the top 10% of their income to their church. They give another 5% to several missionaries that they support. Now, that's 15% right off the top, and then the government, you know, is getting their share of that as well, right? How does, how does somebody do that? How is that possible? They're still saving something along the side. They're also putting something away for retirement as well. How, how does somebody do that with only a finite, limited number of finances, income coming in? Well, they, they choose to buy used cars instead of having a new car payment. Their mortgage is about 20% of their income, not 40 or 50% of their income. They don't eat out a lot, and they don't have an ongoing, continuing credit card balance. They're not continuing to pay this year for last year or five years ago's fund. And so that gives them control over what God provides today for today. Sure, they could have a bigger house. They could have a newer car. They could eat out more. They could give less. But they have chosen to support what God is doing because that's more important. As long as God's promise is true, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So maybe, maybe that Financial Peace University, maybe that's a point, maybe that's a very practical, real, tangible way that you could live in to wait for his son from heaven. If you want to know more about that, then, then in the foyer after the service, Miss Jesse will be, will be um, talking to people about that. You can sign up for more information. These characteristics, they turn to God from idols, radical in the culture, life change, dramatic, to serve the living and true God. This is an active faith. This is a faith that's moving. This is a faith that's choosing. This is a faith that's doing. To wait for his son from heaven. It's got, it has a new long-term, eternal perspective instead of the immediate pressures of the present day. This is a faith where the urgent of today does not pr- crowd out the important of forever. These characteristics, how did those get worked into the lives of these Christians? How did it happen? What was the practical thing that made this happen among this group of people? You say, well, God did that. Yes. Yes, God did that. So right at the start of this chapter, Paul thanks God for what's happened in the lives of the Thessalonians. This is evidence, he said, that God has chosen you. And yet it wasn't a matter for each of these Thessalonians individually. It wasn't a matter of Jesus and me. It wasn't a matter of God individually just working with them individually. No, there was more than that. There was a following and there was a being example. To put it this way, these characteristics, these dynamics, this reality of the Christian life was expressed in the lives of believers because they followed others and then they began to lead others. And God's church multiplies God's church grows when we are following well and thus we begin to be leading well. We are following well and then there's others who need to follow and those who are following become those who are leading, those who become examples for others. Those are the two things in the first two verses that I read that popped out of us. First of all, it said in verse 6 that you became followers, imitators of us and of the Lord. 
you became imitators, living more like Jesus, living in the things that he said for us to do. That comes from following others who are following Jesus. You became imitators means we saw your life and we're living similarly. There's, there's a shared life there. There's time spent together. There's life-on-life life engagement, examples seen and followed. There was a, a, a trend many years ago now, maybe a decade or more, the, the what would Jesus do, where, where, the, where the way that you live the Christian life was simply just decide this choice that you have, well, what would Jesus do here? Well, it becomes very subjective, almost what you feel about what Jesus would do there if you're not careful with that because to get very specific, well, I could tell you many things that Jesus would not do. Jesus would not go to college. Jesus would not contribute to a 401. Jesus would not buy a new car. Jesus would not buy a used car. Jesus didn't drive a car at all. Jesus did not get married. Jesus would not raise kids, unless you count the disciples, Okay. So, so just saying, well, what Jesus did is what I'm going to do becomes very subjective. You're going to need well, that, that, that following Jesus is lived out, and it looks a little differently in this generation than it does in the first century. So we follow him the way Paul describes here. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. Who do you know that follows Christ well? Who do you know that follows Christ in a way that you could learn something from? I'm not asking for the, the, the example par excellence. This is the one that I'm going to pattern my life after because that's probably somebody you know from a distance rather than up close. And that's why you think they're the example par excellence because you know them only from a distance and you don't know them up close. Because Paul says, follow me as I follow. You became followers of us and of the Lord. But does that mean that Paul's example was perfect? Not if you read Romans 7. Paul himself says, there are things that I wish that I would do that I don't do. Things that I would do, things that I want to do. The desire is in me, but the flesh is, is, is weak. And I don't do. There are things that I would not, things that I don't want to do, and yet still I find myself doing it. When I wake up and I slap myself and I say, what, what are you doing there? Who will deliver me from the body of this death, he says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul's, Paul's not a perfect life. But Paul's life is an example worth following for them as he follows the Lord. And so we need to follow others who are following Jesus. Gene Getz, a while ago, wrote a book called The Measure of Man. It's a great book. It takes the, the descriptions, the characteristics of, the, of an elder or a deacon that are found in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, and unpacks those of what that looks like in men's lives today. And, and often this book is used, somebody is considering a, 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 a call to serve as an elder or a deacon in the church, and they're given Get's book, say, well, read this and, and, and tell us, how does this describe your life? And many men would read that book, They'd say, well, gee, I don't quite measure up to this. There's things that I've had in the past and so forth. The problem is if you read those descriptions out of Timothy and Titus regarding elders and deacons, if you read those historically as if you have any of things in the history of your life, you're not qualified to be an elder or a deacon, you're going to find it very discouraging. And many people misusing Get's purpose, they have, it chased them away from serving and leading others. 
When actually, the, the thing that gets us doing unpacking those descriptors in, in today's terms ought to encourage us because the qualifications, the characteristics of an elder or a deacon as described in Scripture are the, major, are the measure of Christian maturity. This is what it looks like. And so these, 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 this, is the, this is the model, this is the, this, these are the characteristics that all of us would be pressing toward. It ought to encourage us to spiritual growth and to pursue these things rather than to just say, well, that doesn't describe me. I, don't, I, don't, I can't tick all of those boxes, so I'm not qualified. Where would you grow? That, that, that's the purpose of those passages. That's certainly the purpose of Get's book. Like an athlete in training, we will run better this race God has set before us if we run it in the company, if we train with those who maybe have run a little longer, maybe who've been training a little longer, maybe who've been in this race a little longer than we have. One of the ways that these characteristics, turning to God from idols, to serve the living true God, to wait well for his son from heaven, to not be distracted by temporary things, these things are worked into the church because they became followers. They became followers of us, Paul says, and of the Lord, of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Just as you received from us. They received the word of God from Paul and Silas and Timothy. That following is going to be word-centered. Following is not just choosing somebody you think they seem to have their life together. And it may be that their life seems together, and yet that is not a life that's actually yielded to the Lord. You want to be following somebody who is following the Lord, and they do that in his word. Paul describes their reception of the word of God from us. I love this part because I love God's word. I'm all about knowing God's word, knowing it more. Big picture, small details. Let's dig in. Let's parse some Greek together, okay? A few are saying, yeah. Most of you are saying, what? Why would we do that? That's not what this passage is talking about. When it says, because you received, yes, Paul talked to them in Greek. I realize that. But that's not what it means for us. To receive the word is not necessarily to be a Bible expert. To receive from us the word of God is to be Bible yielded. God's word doesn't bounce off of you. You don't have your shields up concerning what God is saying to you, but you come seeking, Lord, what would you say to me? Lord, what should I know? What should I do? What difference does this make? And you know, we ask those questions well when we ask them in the company of others because our own hearts will deceive ourselves. Doesn't the scripture say that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked? What man can know it? We don't know our own hearts. We need others around us who can ask questions with us to say, to help us see God's light in the midst of sometimes our own deception or just the patterns we've gotten so used to that we don't see something new that God has for us anymore. And someone else looks at us slightly differently or somebody else is looking at our life from a different angle and they can see something for us that we wouldn't see ourselves. We do well to follow the Lord by following others. Following the Lord will, well, will cost you something. Following the Lord comes sometimes with affliction. That was their experience. You became followers of us and of the Lord, even as you received from us the word of God in the midst of affliction, but that with joy. And sometimes that joy, sometimes that encouragement comes from not being alone, of following in community. Perhaps 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy's, perhaps their joy was contagious. Can you imagine maybe some sort of a smaller group one evening, and there Paul or Silas would tell them the story about the, about the surprise midnight choir back in, back in Philippi. When, you know, oh, that's a terrible thing that they did to you. And yet we were singing, okay, it wasn't the best singing you ever heard. But in the middle of the night, we couldn't sleep. It hurt. So we were singing. We were singing instead. And all of a sudden, the, the cell doors opened. All of a sudden, the earth shook. And all of a sudden, we were all free. And there's this jailer. He's about to kill himself. And instead, instead of ending his life, God gives him eternal life. And the man was wonderfully, dramatically changed. Can you imagine how that story, how, how Paul, Silas, and Timothy's, how their example of trusting God, of serving the true and the living God, of waiting on and trusting in the return of his son from heaven in the midst of adversities. Can you imagine how that encouraged the Thessalonian church who themselves would face opposition from others? And yet they'd been prepared for it. Because they knew real people with skin on who had gone through that too. I'm reminded of the story of a young girl. She's having trouble sleeping. She had a bad dream or something. And, and um, her mom comes in and comforts her. Mom wants to leave. Mom wants to go back to sleep, you know. Mom's, mom's tired. And uh, little daughter just wants, no, please stay, please stay. Uh, I don't want to be alone. And her mom says, but, but, but honey, don't you know, you're, you're never alone. Jesus is always with you. The daughter says, I know, but sometimes I need someone with skin on. As I look out here today, the one thing I see that you all have in common is you have skin on. All right? You are just the kind of example that people around you need. Both those that, who are also walking in faith. You say, well, how, what kind of example can I be? I don't think they knew the, that they were examples. I don't think that they had this great confidence. God, we are wonderful examples. People should be following us. If they did, they're probably the wrong examples to follow. But, but in faithfully following, they are excellent examples for others to follow. This is true you're an example even not knowing it. Uh, example of this on a, on a macro scale. Many of you know the name Tim Keller. Tim Keller has influenced um, what ministry in our modern culture, especially within the urban centers, within large cities, looks like. He's a brilliant man. He's spoken well to it. But his example has caught on and others have followed the example because for years he stuck to it. He planted Redeemer Church in New York City and he stuck with it. He did the hard work on the ground engaging in the lives of others so that his ministry model became an example on a large scale throughout the country, even other places around the world in this postmodern culture. That's a big micro scale that none of us would probably aspire to. What about on a much more micro scale? I was thinking to myself, who, who were examples for Julie and I? I thought of John and Juanita, a young couple a few years older than us. When we arrived in a new church, in a new place, we didn't know anybody. They became our friends, and they showed us something about a, a young Christian couple together. They were parents before we were. We got to borrow their little kiddos sometimes and sit the kids for them while they could go out. And as we watched them, we learned something about parenting from John and Juanita. My friend Don, 
drew me in as a friend. We spent time together, and he found something I enjoyed doing with him, and so we stuck with that, even though there was a particular game that we would play that I would beat him at regularly, and yet he continued that because it gave us time together. It gave us time to talk about spiritual things while I was beating him badly. He invited me along to go with him to, to uh, places where he went in ministry, like a, like a local rescue mission and a Bible study that he taught. He had me along the way teach that Bible study for him a couple of times. After a couple of years, he actually handed off that Bible study to me. He said, I know the way that you study. I know the way you approach God's word because he had modeled that for me and, and, and led me there. The way that I teach the word today is a lot I owe to the example of my friend Don. I think of a family, the Honkin family. They had eight kids within 10 years. Can you imagine what were they thinking? Well, mom told me what they were thinking, that if they'd had the boys first, they never would have had the four girls. Fortunately, they had the four girls, and that seemed to help things. But, but we watched this family. We, knew, we watched the example of the parents. We watched the example of the kids. And we learned, we learned something about what, how we would raise our kids, how we would homeschool our kids from watching their example. I think of James and Nell Lolly, an elderly couple who had served on the mission field in Brazil for 40 years mostly the same station for 40 years. They gave us the courage to follow a similar path, to leave the Air Force, thinking God was calling us into mission service, which he did to Africa, but at the time not knowing where he was leading us, what it would look like, where we would be going. But to leave the Air Force when I was halfway to a Air Force retirement, you could say that following their example gave us courage to, to um, turn to, the, to God from Air Force. To trust him even for my future in ways that I was trusting a government promise instead. I got a call this week from my friend Joe. Joe was somebody that I was an example to, and I didn't really know it at the time. Joe was my roommate before Julie and I were married. And Joe, first when we were roommates, was religious, but he was not a believer in Jesus. He was not born again. And we would talk about spiritual things, and we would talk about God's word. We'd talk about the gospel. And sometimes I would get so frustrated, I would throw something at him. What a wonderful example, right? I thought I blew my witness to Job, but Job would tell you that my example before him of faith is the reason he became a Christian. God is very gracious. We don't know. You don't know the example that God would use you to be. That we not only need to follow others, we need to lead others. We need to be an example for others because others around us need examples to follow. There's all kind of ways that could look like. It could look like joining in. Maybe you're looking for, for an example. You're looking for somebody to walk with. There are many different ministry circles within the church that you could join in. But maybe it's just grabbing hold of somebody that you know and say, you know, let's, let's spend a little time together. I'd love to just get together with you um, every week or so and just, just uh, talk about things I'm reading, have somebody to pray with. Don't wait for somebody else to make the move. You take the next step. Maybe, maybe you're saying, you know, we need to be walking together. I need to find somebody that I could walk with. I need to find somebody that God would use to share some of what he's given me with. 
Look around, grab hold of somebody, take a next step, go deeper together. I've got a friend. He, he, he gathers what he calls a triad. He gets two other guys that he's going to meet with for six months. And they're going to meet typically weekly over six months, and they set up a little, a little note page that has these specific things on it. What are a couple of goals that you're pursuing in your life right now? Specifically, what, what is an area where you are tempted in sin and you're seeking to be stronger, an area that you're seeking victory in? What is a virtue in the Christian life, some fruit of the Spirit that you, you are seeking to, to live more in in your life? What are, what are, week by week, what is the Lord showing you from His Word? Let's pray together. Those pieces, are there specific goals you're following? Is there a, a, a place where you're seeking victory? Is there a virtue that you're pursuing? Let's, let's share together among the three of us something we've seen in the Word this week. Let's pray for one another. That's a pretty simple model. In fact, you could write that down. You could write that down and you could start doing it with two other people. Six months. And what are you supposed to do after six months? Each of you go find two other people. Rinse and repeat, right? Goals. Victory you're you're pursuing. A virtue you are seeking. Vision, something shared out of the Word that week. And let's pray for one another. Is there somebody that you would just call each week, check in on, encourage, text them? Who will you be an example to? Who will you lead in walking with the Lord in this pattern of turning to God from idols, serving the true and living God, waiting for his son from heaven? Maybe it's joining with a couple of other, uh, other folks in a, in a growth group. We have a model. If you want to start a new group, we'd love to help you invite other people to it. Get two others with you. Get two other couples or if it's if, if you're, if, if couples or singles, two other units so that if somebody can't make it that week, there's still, there's still two that we can invite other people to join into. And we'll help you to join. We would love to have those kind of circles and groups forming together. As simple as this. Jordan promised you earlier that if you opened the bulletin, there'd be these various opportunities. I said, oh, great. And I looked in the bulletin, and there's not so many actually listed this week. There were more last week. We had the ladies' Bible studies in there, the three different studies. We had the men's group in there, and that's not there this week. It's still going. It's just not listed there this week. And so one of the things we'll, we'll get up and going is to have a, a full list of those kind of connection points. The website's another place you can find them. But let's do this this morning. If you would like some help from from one of the pastors or elders to say, how can I take a next step in connecting with others, following with others, leading, being an example for others? How can I take that next step? Then uh, just put that, put that on that white card. The white communication card that came with your bulletin. You know, you, you, you open your bulletin, you look at the bulletin, you lay that card aside. Go ahead and write your name on it and say, I'd like to connect with somebody I could follow with. Somebody that or somebody that I could be an example to, both. And we'll, we'll help you to take that next step, matching that up. It might be somebody you, you, you know. It might be somebody that you don't know yet.
But those, that dynamic Christian life, that life change, that, that nurturing and growing of the gospel and the lives of others happened because they became followers of us and of the Lord. And in so doing, follow, follow, so following well, they became examples even farther than they realized. And that's what we need to do. We need to be following somebody. We need to be leading somebody into a more faithful, full walk with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask then that, Lord, you might give us some time, even right now, to think about, Lord, who could I walk with? Who can I connect with so that I'm not walking alone, somebody else is not walking alone? Who do I know that I don't know where they're connected? And I would find out. Lord, there doesn't need to be any major program here. It could be centered around me and one or two others, your word and your spirit. But Lord, would you, would you give us the courage to take a next step in connecting that we might be following well, that we might also then be for one another examples. Lord, would you free us indeed to serve the true and the living God, to be waiting for his son from heaven, even with those things that you've put into our hands, our our treasure, our time. Father, as we receive this morning's offering, not only the offering that we give, the tithe that we have committed to. But Father, would you, would you cause us to give even our own lives? How would I connect with somebody else? Lord, use this offering that we would offer ourselves to you. So Father, help now, lead by your Spirit. There are many ways that we would connect, many places at work, with neighbors, with friends. But Lord, that we would intentionally, with somebody else, walk together with you and that for your glory and to show your glory to others we pray that in jesus name amen amen